Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Matt Lamborn. Hello. As we uh, take a look at our new release of Ex Machina, and also to have a triple bill looking at our favourite AI featured in films. Uh, but starting off, we're going to have a quiz, uh, followed by the news. I haven't watched I Frankenstein this week. I've been a bit busy. I will watch it for next week, though, Owen, I promise you. Okay, That's I'll fine. let you off, because this isn't a sort of special edition episode of the podcast. So I'll yeah. let you off for this week. We're back to normal next week, though. And I do expect you to watch it. I will. With you. I promise. Anyway, yeah. uh, on to the quiz. It's Owen versus the guest now, uh, with me in the quiz chair, doing things properly and reading out the actors' films in chronological order. <laughs> I'm going to start off in 1998 with Elizabeth. Dunno. Okay, I'll uh, skip into the year 2000. We've gone in 60 seconds. Hmm. I don't know who, other than Nick Cage, but I can't see him being in Elizabeth. Giovanni no. BC. No. Uh, I'm going to go to 2001 and a, th- um, a film called Strumpet. <laughs> I, I've, I would have never heard of that film either, I just like the name. Yes, good name. Yeah. But no, I don't know. No? No. Okay, 2002, uh, 24-hour party people. Steve Coogan. No. Damn. Matt, would you like to hazard a guess? I think I know who it is, but I can't remember his name now. Okay. Also 2002, 28 days later... Cillian Murphy? No. Oh. <laughs> and Owen remembers you have to shout out your name first. Oh, yes, I do. Sorry, mm. I'm breaking the rules. Yes. I apologise. Uh, Matt, would you like to hazard a guess yet? No, I, I will wait for one more shot, please. Okay. Uh, in 2009, they're in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Fucking hell. Who was in... G.I. Joe and in 24-hour party people. And Elizabeth. And, and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, yeah. yeah. Uh, God, I don't know. In but. 2012, they're in Song for Marion. <laughs> you picked the worst one ever. It's the hardest one since the one I did a few weeks ago. It's not, it's not someone like Helen Mirren or someone like that, is it? 
It is not Helen Mirren. No. Um, 2013, they're in Thor The Dark World. Natalie Portman? Oh, wait, Natalie Portman? No. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm going to have to go back and pick out some um, names of other films now. Um, I'll do I'll do two more films, but I'm going to have to go back in time a bit because that was he's got one film currently in the in the in the works. Um, okay. And uh, yes, so we'll go back to uh, 1996, and they're in a television film called Hillsborough. I mean, so they're definitely British. Mm. So, oh, Matt. Yes, Matt. Tom Hiddleston. No, it's not Tom Hiddleston. Uh, who's in Thor? Who's Brit? Uh, what's his name? Christopher uh, Eccleston. It is Christopher Eccleston. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank God for that. Who is he? Gone in 60 seconds. He's the main bad guy. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. God damn it. He was so wow. easy on that. Anyway. Blimey. Wow. That was a good one. A tough one, though. Well done, you well, guys. Yes. Enjoy your glory. I think that's our first point against the guests as well. Yes, so far. it is. Yeah. Um, on to the news, then. And biggest news this week, I suppose, is the Fantastic Four teaser trailer coming out and disappointing cinema goers everywhere. Yes, by biggest news, you mean biggest steaming pile of shit news. <laughs> yeah, very uh, generous with the term disappointing as well, because that suggests some level of expectation for it prior to watching, which I didn't really have. It just looks really bland but and boring, isn't, doesn't it? Isn't in the film the the, the stereotypical, well, the, the traditional Fantastic Four bad guy, um, Doctor, Doom. Doctor Doom, is a blogger or hacker who's handle is doom or something Good. I read I think I read that I might be wrong with that so the Fantastic Four's nemesis is now Perez Hilton <laughs> essentially yeah. they're going after Julian the Sand and all of his name yeah oh, no I can't I don't really know much about it I know that the director recently um, who has been turning up I mean the film's delayed quite a bit anyway I think because he kept turning up on set and smashing things up and having fits and basically being stoned out of his mind for the entire time, um, has said that the, his main inspiration is David Grodenberg for the Fantastic Four film. Which... Why? <laughs> yeah, basically. I think it's the same that, the same way you get uh, Olivia Megaton saying that his inspiration for taking three is people like Stanley Kubrick and Tarkovsky. You actually think, well... They might be the people you like, but it doesn't necessarily mean the film you've made is especially a spot inspired by them. Mm. But, you know, I haven't seen anything to do with Fantastic Four other than the trailer, as I say. It could very well be very Cronenberg, but I highly doubt it. I can't imagine we'll see too many glimpses of side effects, for example, in Fantastic Four. Hmm. Yeah. Or any sort of um, body horror, <laughs> you know? No. I know the thing's pretty grotesque looking anyway, but I doubt it has any transformations like in uh, The Fly or, you know, Existence or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be still quite family friendly. The previous two Fantastic Fours were kids' films, basically. 
I know there's an argument that all comic book films are sort of for kids anyway, but the Fantastic Four films were literally aimed at young children. Mm. I don't know if it's just me. I'm not like a massive comic book fan compared to, say, yourself, Owen, or, or Carol. But um, I've always thought of the Fantastic Four as quite a weak franchise. I, I find that the characters' powers in it are really uninteresting. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if kids today just didn't find it exciting at all compared to something like the Avengers. Well, the, the, there are comic books that um, make the characters... In, you know, it's the same as anybody, really. It depends who's been writing them. But there's a series by a writer called Jonathan Hickman who is notorious for mind-bending stories and plots and like having Reed Richards as an evil entity type thing. And it works really well in context of that series. Um, but like I said, I don't think it's translated to this. I think, as you know, the point you've just made, people aren't really going to be that interested. I don't think it's a massively appealing team. You know, compared to people like the X-Men or the Avengers that you've got out, it's just... They just they aren't that appealing. I don't like the name of their group. It's goofy, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's too old. It's, it's way like too it's old. like it's like the famous five, isn't it? Yeah. It just sounds like <laughs> the famous five or the Secret Seven, the Fantastic Four. We expect them to be in you know solving, foiling smugglers or something like in a really <laughs> innocent way, foiling <laughs> smugglers and having a picnic rather than having superpowers and saving the world. Yeah, it's kind of outdated and, you know, I think writers, do, some writers do very well to update the characters for the modern times, but you're right, the name is just very lame imagine, and off Imagine Marvel getting the rights to the, the famous five and doing something with that. That's like to blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, just is. Yeah. Mind blown. And on yeah. that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, why don't, why don't these people making the Fantastic Four and, and Spider-Man just sell the rights back to Marvel because they're doing nothing good with it? Well, there is, there is the argument that um, Spider-Man's not really going to make Sony any money anymore because uh, people aren't that fond of them. They've been received quite poorly, I think. Yeah. Um, Which is, so it's a shame because Andrew Garfield was pretty good as Spider-Man but just had two wishy-washy films really to be Spider-Man in. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was better than Tobey Maguire, but it's not how I envisage Spider-Man in my head, based upon watching like the the late '90s uh, TV animation, which was brilliant. Yeah, it was fantastic. But I think the problem with Andrew Garfield was he was a little bit too cool, and that's not necessarily because, um, you know, the character Peter Parker. It's just quite cool at the moment to be a bit geeky. Therefore, a geeky Peter Parker is actually quite trendy. It's not even and geeky, it's more dorky. There's too much yahoo, whippy in them, and it's yeah. just really ugh, cringe, really cringe. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing about Marvel and Sony, Sony are never going to sell them unless they go bust. You know, they've yeah. got to hang on to the things, the properties they own that are going to make them money. I suppose they are talking about loaning Spider-Man to Marvel, aren't they? For yeah, for, at some level, um, which should be interesting. Yeah, particularly for things like Captain America: Civil War, which um, 
you know, has been confirmed and the comic book series has, we've talked about it before, but it has Spider-Man as the main character in that, um, with regards to the Superhero Registration Act, mm. where they have to... Unmask, essentially, to the public. Unmask publicly, yeah, and Spider-Man's one of the, the heroes who refuses. He he um, gets into an argument about whether he should and what the, you know... Because being a, a secret identity is a big thing for him, because he knows he, he knows enemies will go after his family and stuff. It's a storyline that's used quite a lot in Spider-Man, as Matt will know from the, the cartoon series in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the, it's probably a bit strange. Yeah, how are they going to do this Civil War storyline? Because everyone knows, in, in the Marvel Cinema Universe as it is now, everyone knows Tony Stark's Iron Man, everyone knows Steve Rogers' Captain America. Um, yeah. Thor's a bit, Thor's. Thor, Thor's a bit different. Um Scarlett Johansson, uh, sorry, um, Black Widow and Hawkeye probably aren't really superheroes. They've just got kind of heightened abilities and they're probably not that hidden identities. So the only one that's really probably a hidden identity at the current Avengers is is people don't really know Hulk is Bruce Banner, I expect, like the general public. Yeah, but even to them, you know, Hulk is still technically something to be feared rather than an Avenger. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's a strange one. I don't really know how they're going to do it. They've got a lot of characters to build into the series anyway. Um, But there's also going to be, obviously, a couple of heroes introduced um, in Avengers Age Voltron Mm. and in the Phase 2. So there's plenty of time for them to introduce characters who are anonymous, you know, people who who don't have publicly known identities. But it does feel a little bit like it's being shoehorned in. Mm. Hmm. And Daniel Brawl is the other news, I suppose, related to Marvel, um, because he's being cast as Baron Zemo in Captain America Civil War. So he's going to be, the, there's going to be a, a main bad guy, which is quite good. Yeah, I've not seen too much of Daniel Brawl. I mean, I thought he was great in Rush, though. He was. He was great in Rush. And he was in uh, A Most Wanted Man last year as well. You know, the mean, ma- a man I'm wanted, wanted by, by most Rush. people, yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Um, and he was good in that as well. He's been good in quite a few things, um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be the bad guy, which will be interesting to see him play that sort of darker character. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it's also good for the film to have a main villain, in uh, just a just because it's quite standard anyway to have a good guy and a bad guy. But in a lot of Marvel's films, they have a bad guy, but they're kind of like side characters to the story. Like, the Winter Soldier in The Winter Soldier, you know. He wasn't really the main focus of that film. That was all about S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA. Yeah, um, which worked brilliantly. Which did work well, yeah. Um, but it did mean they introduced a character like Winter Soldier and really could have been the main focus, but wasn't. You know, they even did it with Iron Man 2, with Whiplash. He's just a kind of annoyance for, for, for the hero. So, oh yeah, I mean, but um, Baron Zemo is one of Captain America's main villains. So, but I mean, they're not they're not the only ones guilty of making kind of a main villain kind of a secondary character or annoyance. I mean, in in the Batman films, under Nolan, Bane just became a a henchman more than anything else, didn't he? Yeah, they they really didn't use his character. He was he was henchman number one in effect. Mm. Yeah, first half of the movie he was everything, and then by the exactly. end he disappeared into insignificance. Mm. He was the man riding around on a truck for the, the second half of the film with a megaphone. But uh, yeah, 
It's an, it's not uncommon, I suppose. But it, I mean, at least having someone like Daniel Ball attached to Civil War gives me a bit of hope for it. Yeah. Hmm. More so than I've got for Fantastic Four. Yes, that's fair to say. Um, so that's all really for the news for this week. Up next, we have got our Triple Bill, long-awaited return of Triple Bill. Where we have a look at our favourite artificial intelligences from the world of film. <laughs> Time for Triple Bill now, and we're taking a look at favourite um, artificial intelligence of film in honour, I suppose, of the new release we're reviewing this week, Ex Machina. So, uh, Owen has found some definitions of what artificial intelligence is, so we can't really break the rules like James would if he was here. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've got three definitions for you, okay? First one I've got is for the word artificial. And this is just searching for, you know, Google define. So the first one is artificial. Uh, the description is made or produced by human beings rather than occurring naturally, especially as a copy of something natural. OK, that's artificial. Intelligence is defined as the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. So the definition for the term artificial intelligence, according to Google, um, the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks normally requiring human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and translation between languages. So, to me, those, those, all of those together don't really match up very well. Because artificial intelligence in a film usually means a big bad computer that's got some form of sentience it's got its own its own mind its own wills and it's ends up being the thing that's going to threaten humanity i mean what what do you guys think of artificial intelligence as a as a definition because i don't think the one that's on google is particularly relevant like i was saying in in the chat we had before we started recording i think that it's um an entity that is able to, to think for itself that is not born of the flesh is this my simplest way of looking at artificial intelligence, whether it's good or bad, is is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. But then you get things like um, the Transformers, so just to throw a few spanners in the work, or cyborgs. You know, the Transformers are aliens that are made of metal. They're actual life forms, but, you know, cyborgs as well. It's a person, but then it's got a computer in it. Or... But does a transformer not have to have some form of initial programming for, for it then to be able to develop its own consciousness? So it's not born with the ability to think for itself. It's constructed and then something's put into it. Uh, possibly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's kind of one of those... I mean, I read a few different articles um, recently. I'm writing something for the site at the moment about artificial intelligence films. And reading a few different things about it, there's no one standard definition that I could find of artificial intelligence. You know, even on Wikipedia, it's, you know, very theoretical, and then you've got some very, very uh, philosophical interpretations of what it could mean. Um, I think it really means something created by man that has now taken on its own personality and will. 
Okay, so that's a good description of, of sentient yeah. artificial intelligence. Yes. So, I think, <laughs> for the purposes of our, our triple bill, it should be something made by people, rather than occurring naturally, like the definition that, that's on there for artificial, with the ability to apply knowledge and skills and acquire new skills. Does that sound fair? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's go for it then. Who's going to go first? Why don't you go first, Owen? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I shall start. No, um, no cheating. No cheating, no. Okay, I'm going to stick to my own rules this time. Um, okay, I'm going to, I've got three films, obviously, but I'm going to start with one that's slightly more obscure, I think, and then gradually build to the one that I think we can all agree is a really good film and has a very interesting use of artificial intelligence in it. Okay. I've also left out, in, including this obscure one, because I really do think it's a genuinely brilliant piece of um, use of artificial intelligence. I've left a couple of big films out, which I've got my fingers crossed a couple of you are going to uh, mention as well at some point anyway. So, my first choice, the most obscure pick, uh, is a South Korean film, of course, called Doomsday Book. Or, uh, to give it the title, if you kind of literally translate it from Korean, is Report on the Destruction of Mankind. I like that one. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> it's a three-part anthology film, which is just shy of two hours, actually. But it's directed um, jointly. There's two two guys who worked on it. Uh, Yim Pilsung, who is known for... I, I assume he's mostly known for the film Hansel and Gretel in 2007. It's quite a popular Korean sort of horror film. And uh, Kim Ji-Woon, who should be more familiar to you, is the guy who directed The Good, The Bad, The Weird. Uh, he did The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. And he did, of course, I Saw the Devil as well. So both two fairly well-known um, directors were involved in this project. Um, but yeah, there's each of the three short stories in it. They're only connected by the fact they're about a threat or impending apocalypse. So they're not linked narratively with each other, um, or with the characters, or anything like that. So the first part is a zombie story, and the third final part is a weird kind of fantasy story about a little girl and an eight ball. But neither of them are what I want to discuss. It's actually the second segment in this anthology film, called The Heavenly Creature. Uh, that was... Well, firstly, it was the best segment in the film, by a distance. And secondly, it was the one that actually featured AI, so it made the whole thing relevant. <laughs> um, but yeah, specifically, it had a robot in it called In Myung, who is owned by a Buddhist temple, who claimed who th this robot then claims to have reached enlightenment. Wow. Yeah. So the Buddhists call out an engineer who tests him. Can't find any any faults with the robot. Um, but then the engineer's bosses want to decommission In Myung as he's kind of an out-of-date model anyway. So they want, to, they want to decommission him, and there's some sort of ethical quandaries around that. So the main point of the story is that it's all, it's all about... It's, it's not just artificial intelligence in a measured format, like we've discussed, uh, sticking to those defined principles, but it's also about the transcendence from, from worker droid to a spiritually awakened machine. And what I love about it is the majority of films that use AI... Even in, like, Ex Machina, which we're going to talk about a bit later, and Transcendence, which came out last year. Uh, stretching all the way back to things like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the original novel. Um, you know, it, it, it's the idea of messing about with things that you don't understand will potentially be our doom. That's, what, that's what's going to be our downfall, you know. 
that you're not meant to play God and in attempt, attempting to create a machine that can not just kind of think and act like a human, but potentially outthink and outperform us, uh, well, that will invariably lead to a robot uprising and the end of hum- humanity as we know it. But in the Kim, jo- uh, Kim Ji-Woon directed and written short story, the robot has surpassed the human race in one way, you know, at least he claims to have. Um, but he's a complete and utter non-threat. He's a pacifist Buddhist monk who has reached a state of nirvana that few people have ever claimed to have actually achieved. Thus making him not only superior technically, but spiritually. And I think it adds a whole new level to the threat of um, artificial intelligence. You know, despite the fact that I say he's, he's not himself a threat. Um, but it's the way that it threatens the evolution of, of mankind. And it kind of challenges what, what life is. It challenges what artificial intelligence uh, can mean. And, you know, the story itself is really tense. It's got a gripping finale. And it's just fascinating. It's just a really interesting idea. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my first choice. It's on US Netflix as well, uh, if you've got any interest in watching it. And, I like the um, sound of that one. It's really worth it, honestly. It's really good. I mean, the first part of the film about zombies <laughs> is, all right, it had the honour of being the first and only Korean zombie film I've seen. That would be um, cool, Zombies of AI. Yeah. Um, but the final segment's a bit weak. It's a bit weak. So you could just skip to the second segment in the film, Heavenly Creature, and watch that. It's about half an hour long. I think half an hour, 40 minutes in total for just that segment. Um, in the film Doomsday Book. Really, really interesting idea. So I'm going to be a bit quicker with my next two because I'm sure there's not much here for me to say that I've not said already in the past or hasn't been discussed a million times elsewhere anyway. So my second choice, uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey and the onboard spaceship's computer called HAL, which takes it upon itself to complete the mission assigned to the crew on his own after figuring out that he can be more than just a tool for the humans but exist in his own right and complete the, the mission. Um, have you? Uh, I might have asked you already, Matt, in the past. Have you seen 2001: Space Odyssey? No, before? I really need to to get my arse together and, and and watch this. But yeah, presumably you're aware of how. I understand that he's a murderous twat. <laughs> That's my way of putting it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, in in the context of the film, Hal is kind of like a more sophisticated version of the uh, well, the bone club that's used by the cavemen in the opening segment of the film, which is used to kind of beat a tapir to death. Um, Hal is kind of like an infallible machine. He's meant to be um, uh, in his calculations, I suppose, um, kind of means to an end for the crew. He's effectively a way for humans to reach the next monolith, uh, which is to kind of suggest the next stage of human evolution by reaching a new stage of, of uh, knowledge and understanding so it's quite a kind of uh, strange way of, of, of creating artificial intelligence in the film anyway um, but you know as such he's kind of treated with extreme caution by Dave and his fellow astronaut Frank when uh, they when Hal begins to display kind of like an alarming degree of self-awareness and uh, I mean I talked about the, the film uh, in more general terms as a whole last week so I'm not going to go over the same ground again but you know suffice to say 
it's one of my favourite movies and the iconic scenes with Hal and not opening the pod bay doors to let Dave and his friend's lifeless corpse back into the ship is famous for a reason. It's because it's it's because of Hal, because of what he represents and how terrifying a concept it is. So that's my that's my second choice. Finally, one I kind of had my fingers crossed you'd all pick as well. We could have a more general discussion about this because I think it deserves it. Uh, Skynet, uh, of course, is my final choice. And I don't mean the real-life UK military communication system that they eerily decided to call Skynet. It's beautiful. That's amazing, but it's also terrifying. Um, <laughs> but it's the antagonist in the Terminator films. Um, you know, the first artificial intelligent machine uh, that actually you see its creator, Miles Dyson, uh, played by Joe Morton, who sacrifices himself to blow it up in Terminator 2 to prevent uh, a robot uprising, you know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't seem to succeed and humanity is overthrown by the robots anyway. But there you go. Uh, obviously, it's not just Skynet, but the Terminator machines themselves are, without a doubt, sentient AI forms with a kind of humanoid body and are entirely menacing. Did either of you two pick or think of picking Terminator? Yeah, it seemed the, the most obvious one when we brought yes. the theme up originally, and it's probably the most famous AI in all of the movie history. Um, yes. So I'm glad that, that we're definitely going to discuss it in, in, in more depth. And similar to how you're discussing with Hal in, in Space Odyssey, when you consider how old the story mm. of Terminator actually is now and how it predates a lot about what we know about um, science and information technology in general, how forward-thinking the people who wrote the story of Terminator had to be to come up with something like like Skynet, that a system that can think to itself to use nuclear weapons, which is always the most terrifying mm-hmm. um, impending disaster uh, of mankind can imagine. It, it's pretty impressive. And it hasn't really aged at all. It's still very much in the public conception, if you like, that that particular scenario is still very much a threat. And when everyone talks about the dangers of the impending age of artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. they imagine the Terminator scenario to a T. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what people they think of when they think of uh, artificial intelligence, that we'll, we'll, we'll be overthrown by some, you know unstoppable metallic creatures that that are destroying humanity and wiping them out because they've got no need for us anymore. And that's why it's so terrifying. It's just a terrifying concept. And Skynet is kind of the basis for that. I mean, did, did you include it as well, Steve? Or did you think it was too obvious? I thought you'd do it, so, and I, okay, kind of took a, <laughs> I took a different route with mine as well. Okay, cool. Well, okay. Well, I think... I, um, I'll leave mine there then, because it seems like you've got something else to say about it anyway. Well, yes, I kind of went for the opposite of of, uh, AI and robots trying to take over the world and kill all humans, and I went for just three three nice ones. Okay, good. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, Johnny Five from Short Circuit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's just a nice little robot, isn't he? Lovely little guy, yeah. yeah. Happy little chap can read books. <laughs> can read books really quickly. Uh, has a bit of a laugh. 
Yeah, that's that's Johnny Five. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that I've... scene with I Need a Hero in the background, I can still remember watching that for the first time as a kid and just thinking it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, second, uh, and there could have been a few few uh, AIs or robots from this film, but I've gone for the main one, and that's Wally from uh, <laughs> Pixar's Wally. Um, looks similar to, to Johnny Five in many ways, um, but saves mankind and Earth. But you could have quite easily picked either um, Evie or the ha- very how-looking Auto from Wally as well. Yeah, uh, it does. But no, I went for the, I went for the main man himself. Yeah, he's such a, a nice little character as well, isn't he? You yeah. just can't help but like him. Yeah, he's it's just quite an original little not in look but in character. You know, a robot that's quite self-aware but nice and happy. Seemingly, yeah. even though he's on Earth all on his own. Collect- it's just, yeah. it, it's kind of like his fascination with humans and the things we've left behind on Earth that, yeah. that make him quite endearing, isn't it? Yeah. And and him doing his little dance to that old video. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, most most of these kind of animations have the characters dance at some point, don't they? Yes. Um, <laughs> but I've never seen the two in my final choice dance. Uh, they are a duo. They do come together. It's going to annoy Owen, but I don't care. It's R two D two and C three PO from from <laughs> from the Star Wars. The Star Wars from yeah. the Star Wars. Um, Wars of the Stars. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes. I don't think there's any finer example of what mankind can create um, to help them than a gold neurotic robot that can speak six million languages. And a little shit of a robot with loads of gadgets on him. Yeah, <laughs> AI that can annoy you to death. And I, and I don't, and I don't think there's any argument that they are certainly have their own personalities and, and free will until Han Solo gets fed up with you in the Millennium Falcon and turns you off. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought I'd go a different way and pick nice ones that aren't going to kill us all. Well, you definitely need an R2-D2 if you're visiting the Dagobah system, otherwise you're pretty screwed. Yeah. Um... Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming yeah, from someone cool. who just led, led the, the ten-minute discussion on comic book films. It's a bit rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Matt, what's, what's your three? Um, I'm going to skim through mine because the ones that I'm going to discuss have been featured on the Fell Critic site or have probably been talked about in numerous podcasts before, but I'm going to start off with a film that I covered in my 1983 decade in a review piece, which was uh, War Games, which stars in an early role for Matthew Broderick as a curious computer programmer stroke geek who accidentally hacks into the US government's mainframe and starts to play a game of global thermonuclear war against the Russians accidentally, um, where the AI comes into it, he feel, thinks that he's accessed some sort of private uh, network which allows him or offers him the choice of playing blackjack or poker. He sees the option for global thermal nuclear war and goes for it and, and doesn't realise that he's setting a chain of events um, that could result in the end of the world. Uh, ultimately, the film climatises with him having a showdown with the computer named Joshua, in a game of noughts and crosses, 
um, where the fate of the world is dependent upon the results, and he has to stalemate um, the the computer enough times for it to learn that no one's going to actually come out on top in the end, and then global nuclear war is averted. Uh, it's very entertaining, particularly how, again, it reaches quite far into the future, in particular uh, as it considers the forthcoming technologies and the early dawn in the early 80s of the rise of computers in the home, never mind in the use of, of the military. So it's it's kind of quirky. Uh, it's a little bit cheesy. I don't think it's too dated, so it's worth checking out. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix, so it shouldn't be too hard to find if you want to check that out. Um, second one, um, getting a little bit darker, but far more entertaining, is 1999's The Matrix, directed by the Wachowskis. <laughs> and this was the film, I probably the first time I came out of the cinema thinking, what the fuck? Uh, am I actually in this this world that this movie has just described? Um, and it was the, f- the film that made me go out and buy my first DVD player because I needed to see this film in all of its high-resolution glory. Um, VHS just wasn't going to cut us. Um, but it's... I think we've all seen The Matrix by now and we know how good it is and how important of a movie it is and uh, the sci-fi genre. It's the, the story of... Um, Humans who have been um, entrapped into a world whereby they are slaves to machines and a power source, and they have to um, use um, a network from machines to um, try and protect their real-life subterranean world where they are safe. Um, It's got one of the best soundtracks uh, of any film that I can remember seeing, um, in the last 10, 15 years or so. And um, it's definitely famous for setting uh, genre-defining techniques such as bullet time and the excellent uh, kung fu coordination, uh, choreographed scenes in it. Um, I can't imagine what um, what the action sci-fi genre would have been like if this film hadn't been made because it's been parodied to death and copied and inspired so many others since then. So an incredibly important film. Um, Again, it features a more tyrannical version of of AI that's out to to kill everybody to save its own neck. Um, But it's definitely worthy of inclusion in our AI list, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you, I mean, you mentioned how um, important it is. It's kind of like the the way Monty Python changed comedy, and you know, without Monty Python, things would probably be a lot different. However, just like kind of Monty Python, for me, I'm I don't really enjoy them, and I don't really enjoy The Matrix. I kind of feel like it's dated very badly. Did you enjoy it at the time, though? Mm, See, I watched the the first time I watched it. I had a mate. Uh, I was in school, obviously, um, but I had a mate who who stayed over, and he bought a load of v, uh, the pirated VHS films with him. And one of them was The Matrix, and we sort of watched it, and it was really crap quality. And he fell asleep halfway through, and it was just like, yeah, I didn't really enjoy that. And I only watched it again when I was a bit older, and by that time, like I say, I, I felt it had dated quite a lot. Just the sort of music and and things. However, it is definitely you know, very important in, in what it what it's done for films, particularly around the sort of sci fi and action genres. 
So I do appreciate it. I just don't like it very much. It's definitely a good example of the initial inspiration for the film being the better part of the overall project because the sequels to The Matrix are, are utterly disappointing. Mm. Um, Reloaded, okay, but uh, Revelations is just far too high on its own hype by that stage. And it's just absolute drivel, which is unfortunate because it could have left an even stronger legacy than it has done. Mm. Um, but I think... As a as a purist, you can watch the first one and forget the other two even exist because it it can it sort of seals itself. It, yeah, it doesn't need sequels, does it? No, I don't think it does. No. So in that respect, as an isolated movie on its own, it's just fine. Mm. You don't have to watch it as part of the rancid trilogy that it became, unfortunately. <laughs> and it certainly is a really interesting take on AI. Because like you said, how it kind of blew your mind, it was, uh, I wouldn't say completely original, but it, it certainly was un- seen before in the cinema. So, yeah, very good choice, I think. Yeah, it made me look, in, in my naive young eyes, maybe look at the world a little bit differently, <laughs> at least temporarily. <laughs> yeah. So, moving on to my last one, it ties in with The Matrix, and knowing you're probably expecting me to drop this one in. <laughs> it's uh, 1995's anime extravaganza Ghost in the Shell it's one of my all time favourite movies one that we've covered in depth mm-hmm. on the website and I know you're a big fan of this as well Owen so, yeah I do I do really, I really like it yeah Yeah. so Ghost in the Shell is the story of a special police unit that specialises in being half a human half cyborg to a degree uh, and we've reached a point in time whereby people's personalities can be downloaded from out of their human bodies into robotic shells hence the name mm-hmm. of the movie um, the uh, protagonist in the movie is a terrorist known as the puppet master which is able to download itself in and out of um, cybernetic hosts as it commits a crime spree around uh, Japan and the special task force are, are on the hunt for the puppet master, um, where it becomes evident uh, through the movie that it's not just a, a personality that's been downloaded out of a human body into a, a robotic shell. It is actually an AI that has become self-aware and is learning uh, and is seeking a, a human host to, to enter, um, which leads to questions of humanity and, and spirituality is the main topics of the of the film is the, the sort of hero of the movie um I can't remember her name though yeah anyway. uh was yeah anyway she she uh, being quite a deep thinker starts to question her own existence but if it's become uh, evident at this stage in history that people can or sorry but uh an AI can exist and just hop into different bodies, whether she is actually real or not. And she starts to question um, mm. the source of her own being, um, which ultimately results into a showdown with uh, the puppet masters. They try to apprehend it and they merge into a, a new personality, a new persona or a new soul, if you like, which is neither one or the other, but a combination of the two. Um, it ends on after a nice dramatic battle sequence with um, again a, a more moral posing it, the ending to the ghost in the shell is, is quite open ended 
Uh, you're not really sure what's going to happen after that point where they've merged personalities and whether the puppet master will take con- more control and begin causing more problems for, for the human race or whether the hero's personality will use that uh, AI's knowledge for the better good. Mm. So it leaves it on a, on a great cliffhanger. There are sequels to Ghost in the Shell, which I haven't seen, uh, purely because I don't really want to spoil um, my enjoyment of the first one. There's, there's nothing worse than when you, you really adore a movie and sequels come many years down the line that perhaps could have been avoided and you become hesitant to want to see them in case it spoils your the original opinion or adulation you have for the original, which is how I feel of Ghost in the Shell. Um, I like it so much that I don't want to see the sequels, which yeah. is it's kind of like how I feel with Terminator 1 and 2. <laughs> Both masterpieces uh, and, and thoroughly entertaining, even so many years later, I don't want to see Terminator 3. I already know it's bad, but I don't want to know how bad it is in case it, it spoils my opinion of the other two. So uh, I, used to, uh, I used to have a mate who really liked the first Terminator, thought Terminator thought the original The Terminator was absolutely brilliant. He loved the concept of it. He loved the, the film, quite rightly, because it's a brilliant film. He then said Terminator 2 was rubbish. He hated it. thought it was crap, children's action, crappy comedy sort of film. But then said Terminator 3 was really good. <laughs> so... <laughs> I can't take this guy seriously. I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't take his film review seriously after that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen Terminator Salvation either. I've seen Salvation. And oh, you have? Yeah, okay. and I, I tend to look at that one as, as part of the ongoing reboot. I don't like uh, enjoy it as part of the original uh, double by, by James Cameron. It's good in its own right. It's fine. Um, yeah. Sam Worthington's just oddly cast in it. I just don't understand that. Bale's pretty good. As far Are you as, looking as far forward as Bale to? Uh, you looking forward to Genesis? Yeah, I've got no expectations for it though whatsoever. So whatever happens is fine. If it's yeah, dog shit, not a problem. <laughs> if it surprises me, then then great. But yeah, it looks Le- as a premise better than Terminator Three looks. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Um, do, I mean, I was sort of half expecting you to bring up. Uh, Paul Verhoeven films, uh, specifically Robocop. I thought you might... Well, see, I, I, I considered that, and I also considered using a Robocop for a recommended film that we're going to do later, but okay. I don't know if it technically falls into AI because it's it's still Murphy's brain and personality mm. being, uh, conflict, well, we being conflicted or guided by programming at the same time. So... I don't know whether... But I think that's just more straightforward cyborg. That is, it's a human with so. mechanical parts than an AI. So I weaned away from Robocop, although I was very tempted. Although the thing, there are AIs in that, like Ed, yeah, Ed yeah. 209 and, and, and whatever. But. Exactly. But the thing, I think the thing about Robocop is that what makes it such a really good film is, apart from being just fantastically entertaining, um, is some of the concepts around Robocop. And about how is it a robot with a bits of a man inside of it, or is it a man trapped inside of a robot shell? You know, it's kind of 
there are two ways of, of looking at Robocop. I yeah, think. there's a little bit of Ghost in the Shell in there. Yeah, it, yeah. It, is it the human soul ultimately will win over the machine? At least that was the kind of message that you were getting um, from the reboot of Robocop, whereby he was able yeah, to, yeah. to break his prime. His personality was strong enough to break the prime directives, which I thought was bullshit. But anyway. but that was that was definitely a man with robot bits attached to him. Mm-hmm. Whereas the original was a kind of... I always thought of it as a robot that had got bits of a man inside of it. And I kind of... I mean, every time I see it, I swing between thinking that and thinking of him as a cyborg, you know, bloke with a gun in his leg and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. It'd still kick Terminator's ass anyway, wouldn't he, really? <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever play the video game Robocop vs. Terminator back in the day? I did, yes. It was pretty cool. Where do you stand on the debate, Steve? You Robocop or Terminator? Oh, Terminator. You reckon? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think Robocop might swing it. don't know. Time travel could be of a of an age. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. Could do. But the game was solid, from what I remember. Yeah, it was very hard. It was pretty cool, though. But uh, to, to settle the debate, I think a, a T-1000 would probably nail Robocop. Whether a Robocop would smash up a, a T-100 is another story, but... Yeah, ah, yeah there's, there's mileage in this. They should make a film. Anyway, sorry, we're going off on a bit of a tangent, aren't we? Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> maybe it's time to end that tangent and triple bill. Um, up next is our new release review. So on to the final part of the podcast now where we're reviewing uh, this week's new release which is Ex Machina, directed and written by Alex Garland and starring Don Hall Gleason, Oscar Isaac and Alicia Vikander uh, a story about AI as we have been discussing that for a lot of the podcast um, and inventor creator uh, played by Oscar Isaac called Nathan uh, is set to or has been building his own artificial intelligence and um, Caleb played by Don Hall Gleason gets to visit him um, at his at his research facility and interact with said AI uh, me and Owen have seen this Matt has not although he will probably quiz us about the film during this section but Owen what did you think of it? I liked it um I don't think it's perfect. I think there's definitely faults with it, but I definitely um, enjoyed it. And I liked the fact that we've got a sci-fi film about an AI and, you know, the whole idea that can it pass a Turing test to deter, you know, for anyone who's not familiar with it by now, I don't know what you've been doing for the last 12 months because the whole Turing test has been everywhere. But for a Turing test is, can a machine convince a human that it's, a person, if the other person doesn't know that it's a machine. So that's kind of like the test that they do early on in Blade Runner, right? Exactly. It is. It, yeah, it's the same thing, yeah. Um, so if it can fool a human into thinking it's a real person, um, it passes the Turing test. And it's kind of a fallacy that no machine has done that, because there are machines that have tricked people into thinking they're real. You know, I mean, AI does sort of exist in the real world in one format or another. It's not a complete science fiction although what makes this film a science fiction um is the fact that 
it's Ava is a kind of fully humanoid mechanism. Looks like a woman, talks like a woman, sounds like a woman, acts like a woman as well, in many respects. Um, and it tries to convince Caleb, who knows that it's a robot, that she can be sentient, as we've sort of discussed about the whole artificial intelligence thing. I thought she was very good. She was a very well-written character. Um... I mean, what, I mean, how did you feel about her, Steve? Because I suppose that's the main thing. It's not about what you think about it. It's how you feel about Ava. What, did, what, did, what was your opinion of Ava? I thought Ava was, was a good character. I mean, if you, if you hadn't have seen all the robotics inside of her, you would have been convinced that it was a normal, you know, real person. Mm. Um, I think the, the person who played, it, played her uh, played the role very well because it wasn't... She was playing a robot that wasn't being a robot, basically. Yes, um, yeah. it's a very tricky role to play, sure. Especially when everyone else knows that you're a robot as well, so it wasn't like mm. she could just play it normally and be a bit, <laughs> you know, play it as a, as a normal person and then all of a sudden there's a big reveal later on, or oh, it's a robot, uh, yeah. or a site, or android, whatever you want to call it. The film itself, I don't know if I liked it or not. It certainly, okay. I certainly came out of it thinking... Um, about the film quite a lot and about artificial intelligence and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I still can't work out whether I liked it or not. That's the thing. I definitely yeah. did dislike it. Um, but, I think it was an intelligent film, definitely. Like I say, it makes you think. And, yeah, um, certainly, certainly intelligent. Certainly makes you think about certain things around that issue because AI of that level might not actually be that far away. I mean, not like, oh, yeah. not like next year, but sort of decades away. Just, yeah, that's true. I mean, a, a full, true AI... Um, well, I suppose we don't really know. It's difficult to say how close we are to it. But, you know, as I said earlier, there have been machines that have tricked people into thinking they're, <laughs> they're real humans. So it's not too much of a fantasy to think it's that far, that we're that far off it. Um, a fully walking, convincingly human-looking AI is entirely different, of course. But um, I mean, the phrase, the, the title of the film, Ex Machina, refers to uh, Deus Ex Machina, you know, God from the machine. So the point of the film is, well, it's twofold. I mean, is it the God from the machine, as in the man is the God creating the machine, or have man created a god in a machine and that's again going back to all the things we we're talking perhaps not with wally or um any of those but the fact the fact that it's it's a terrifying concept to think that um something like an ai something we could create something that we it's discussed during the film with nathan um played by oscar isaac because you know it's a compulsion to make this if you can why wouldn't you make it even though there is the threat or the idea that it could eventually be what wipes out humanity. And so certainly, definitely makes you think about, about artificial intelligence and its importance and, you know, what role it, what, what, what role it could play. Um, but I think the film itself, it, it lets itself down by being a bit too light on some topics. So um, Nathan constantly tells Caleb to stop analysing um, Ava to stop thinking about her as a machine and just tell him how he feels when he interacts with her um, and part of that is to obviously make sure the plot can move along at a nice pace and 
you know, so you can get a, an idea of of what's happening between the characters, but also to to sort of stop the film being bogged down in too much jargon and theoretical uh, concepts and you know stuff you don't really need to see in a film like this um, stuff that can be introduced and then perhaps not expanded on but then in some ways the stuff that isn't expanded on that should have been expanded on is a hindrance to the film so I guess what I'm trying to say is things like sexuality is brought into it about why did Nathan make Ava as uh, to look like a woman and that's kind of addressed but per- perhaps you had a different reaction to me Sue but I thought that that was something that was very swiftly dodged um, you know why Why was she um, a she why was she a she why wasn't she a man or why wasn't she completely sexless you know I mean I suppose if if it's if if the android or robot is completely sexless or genderless, it's it's easier for the person, um, you know, hmm. re- interacting with them to to kind of say that's not a real human, or mm-hmm. that because there's no gender. So rather yeah. rather than being one, the other, or or both, as some people might be, this what this was neither completely neither completely in appearance, everything plain and neutral. And for that reason, you're thinking well, that's definitely not a human then because it's, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the sec, but that's just, that's just aesthetic. There's, there was, I could see no reason uh, in terms of the actual test for, for Ava to be sexualized in any way, either in appearance or when Nathan's talking to, to Caleb. Um, and that's maybe was, was Nathan's way of, I don't know, leading Caleb down a certain path to get the answers that he wanted hmm. that he just kind of brushed over because he was pissed all the time and you couldn't get a straight <laughs> answer out of him. Yeah, I suppose there's that to it as well. Um, it was part of his character trait, I suppose, to be quite ambiguous and, and like I said, pissed all the time. Not not very straight. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, there was, I mean, that sort of, I felt, could have been could have been expanded on a little bit more within the film. Partly because I think the reason is, if you're like as super intelligent as Nathan is and you seemingly have a limitless amount of money, um, of course he's kind of going to make it female. That's what I felt. He's a straight heterosexual bloke who clearly is a bit of a womaniser in, in some ways. I just felt he was a bit of a sex pest. That's how I felt about him. But, yeah, as the film yeah. went on, you did kind of get that impression about him. I mean, maybe the, the film... We probably can't talk too much about the outcome of the film, because it's quite new oh, no, out, of course not. and yeah. it, there's a fair few twists and turns and everything in the film. Mm. Yeah, but, nothing's but, really as it seems, no, is it? So. But, I mean, maybe maybe the movie would have planned out, you know, played out differently if Nathan had created all his AIs as a guy. Yeah, well, you would assume so, yeah. I mean, maybe, you know... they. But then it might have been somebody else who would have been the protagonist, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it might not have been Caleb. It could have been. Yeah. Everything could have changed if it was uh, if the if Ava was you know an Adam or something, you know. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, like overall, I I did enjoy it. I thought it was it was quite good. There was lots of things to make you think, and 
it, the effects in it were pretty good. I know that wasn't what it was primarily trying to do, uh, was trying to create sort of really good CGI's, but I thought Ava looked really good. Yeah, so it, it certainly started... Yeah, I mean, sorry, it certainly was it was a bit different. Um, mm. You know, whereas, whereas a lot of films of that kind of ilk would have ended up going down the road of kill all humans by the end of it. <laughs> this one, this one well, a little bit, but not, not properly, you know. Um, it's the, I think the the thing about the kill all humans bit in, in uh, Ex Machina is you've got, the way that she's introduced is she's constantly behind a glass screen. And the first, the very first time you see her, well, even just before you see her, Caleb walks into the area where she's kind of kept behind this screen, and he, you just see a little crack yeah. in the glass. And that either suggests, you know, someone's tried to get in, or or she has tried to get out, or someone has tried to get, you know, to yeah. either Nathan's tried to get to Ava through, or Ava's tried to get to Nathan, or whatever's happened. You know, you just see this crack. And I think that's part of what makes her seem so um, dangerous, in a way. Even though she becomes quite... You, you do empathise with the situation. You, you think, well, she's she's never been outside, and she's kept in this glass case for her entire existence. Um, but at the same time, she is being kept behind a glass screen. Could it be for a reason? What's the crack for? And it plays on that quite a bit. So it, she does seem quite dangerous, I think, which is um, another uh, well-done aspect to the film. Can I just ask one thing yeah. that I'm not clear on from any of the, the marketing that I've seen from the film or what I've read about it briefly. But does the movie explain why that they've created it? I presume that she's not supposed to be weaponized. So is it, is it purely a challenge of trying to program the AI that has inspired them to create her? Or I mean, what's, what's the it, purpose? It just, from, from what you gather in the film, there's no real explanation as to the why he, Nathan has created AI or AIs. Just purely, it seems to be because he's got a lot of money, he's really clever and he wants to do it. Yeah, but part of the film itself is um, almost like a social commentary because he owns a, an internet search engine. Doesn't It's not Google. I'll just put that out there. It's not Google. It's not Bing. Well, it's not Yahoo. It's, it's not but it's Skynet. Is, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> Might as well be. It's as, it's as big as Google in this film. It, it's basically it, a, a replacement of Google. Precisely, yeah. So the, the point is, it's all to do with information gathering and what is being collected about you, and how is that being used. So, like, part of the film is he uses the information that his company has gathered on people illegally to put it towards the way that he built the machine or whatever it was, you know, the way that her facial expressions work. He used it by videoing everyone through their mobile phone cameras. And, and, stuff. and, so are and they I mean, trying to conclude that this AI that they've created is the culmination of the entire consciousness of everyone that's used in their search engine or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so it's like the idea that if you've, you, you are giving this information, you've got no control over this information, and it could be put towards, you know, it's a very fantastical idea that it goes towards a, an artificial intelligence that could potentially destroy mankind or whatever, it, you know, the purpose may be. But it's, it's a commentary on the information that's being gathered. You don't know what it's being gathered for. It could be being used for something as dangerous as this, or it could just be sold to Tesco so they know what kind of things you look at and will advertise yeah. you with spam emails. It, you, know, you don't 
you don't have a control there's, over that. There's also the point in the film, and this isn't really spoiling anything, um, but Caleb's talking to Nathan because um, you know, Nathan chose him to come and visit him and said, did you base, did you base Ava's facial appearance on my pornography history? Which kind yeah, of suggests, I mean, you know, was, he, of... was he looking, you know, was he tailoring everything towards the person who was based on his search history? Was he harvesting data to create this person or experience for him? Yeah, I mean, because basically Caleb wins competition within the company. Um, he's, you know, he works for Nathan's company, so he wins his competition to go there. And the whole time you're questioning the legitimacy of the competition he's won anyway. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, it calls into question all these kind of things. And but I think mainly though, mainly it, it is just a. Uh, he made it because he can. He made it because he's got the ability to. But as far as the film's narrative goes, or the concept behind the narrative, is it's because it's trying to say, look, be careful what information you're putting out there. That's the reason that the film kind of exists. Yeah, but, you know, at no point is is Nathan saying, oh, I'm going to whack out 100,000 of these and sell them to the highest bidder as, you know, as as military work, or or I'm going to make these as kind of domestic servants for the people's homes he's just like well, yeah I'm a billionaire he's well clever and I'm going to make a robot that's real mm-hmm. a real person yeah what but do, um, yeah so sorry Steve are you going to say something yeah I was just going to say what do we think of um, the director and, and um, screenplay writer Alex Garland who who, who wrote and directed this and has, has um, written 28 Days Later or screenplay for 28 Days Later, Sunshine, and Dread recently as mm. well. Um, well, if he did I Dread, mean, I like him. <laughs> lots of hits in his, his uh, well, only half a dozen films that he's been involved with uh, 28 weeks later as an executive producer. Um, but yeah, he seems to be, seems to be um, on the yeah. rise and, and doing a lot of good work. I, re- I really liked uh, Never Let Me Go. I read the book before... Uh, like about a year before the film I even knew the film existed and I, that is a really clever and also kind of like a low key sci-fi in a way um, and he adapted the, the screenplay for that and it it was very well done it captured, it changed parts of the book but it captured the essence and the tone really well very sinister but kind of like something bubbling under the surface which is also there in Ex Machina completely different of course you wouldn't believe he's the same guy who wrote the screenplay for dread and is now attached to uh, a halo film as well i believe so but it's a it's a very promising um debut nothing like uh the danny boyle films that he's worked on no it doesn't, doesn't feel like a danny boyle film at all no. it feels very um uh original it, you know it's, it's his own style which is quite good yeah um, well, I think that's all really for our discussion, the discussion of X-Mac. And there's just one more thing before we go uh, for this week. That's our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going for Friday night on film four at nine o'clock is the excellent Zombieland. <laughs> Good uh, choice. Very funny. Um, Owen? Uh, wine's not very funny. Um, uh, well, given that today is the 70th anniversary of the liberation of uh, the Jews who were held at Auschwitz. Well, this, this isn't going to be funny, then, is it? It's not funny at all. Yeah, the, hol- um, the Holocaust and humour 
uh, only share a couple of letters in the word, and that's about it. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Stop uh, laughing, Owen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, deadly serious. Yeah, yeah. So I'll put my somber face on. Um, and so the BBC are congesting their channels at the moment with all things related to concentration camps and the World War, which is fine. I think it's kind of fitting. Um, but I'm going to recommend a documentary from... Sorry, I'm laughing again. A documentary from the 80s called Shoah. And it came second in the Sight and Sound Top 10 Documentaries of All Time list last year. Sounds Didn't, Japanese. It, it's... Uh, not European, I think, but it did. <laughs> it's the same Japanese, but it didn't make Paul's rebuttal list. He made a rebuttal to the the Sight and Sound Top 100, and he skipped on watching this because it's nine and a half hours long in total. Jesus. Yeah, but it's full of document. It's full of um, interviews with various Holocaust survivors uh, and people who were affected by the Holocaust, as well as Nazis who who took part in the Holocaust. And they were, some of them were secretly filmed. They didn't know they were being filmed. They knew they were being interviewed, but they didn't know they were being filmed for this documentary. So it captures some real like insights you, you would have missed out on pre- previously, yeah. apparently. So uh, it's been split into two parts, the first of which uh, was four and a half hours long and is on the iPlayer. You can find it on iPlayer by searching for Shoah, S-H-O-A-H. And the second part is on TV on BBC4 on Sunday at 7pm. Okay, and Matt? I keep it a bit more simple than that. Um, <laughs> given that we, we've we been discussing AI, I went for one of my choices, which just happens to be on this weekend. Um, so Sunday night at 9 o'clock, ITV2, The Matrix. Check it out. Okay. Nice. Well, that's all for this week. Uh, we'll be back this time next week. Who's lined up for us next week, Owen? Uh, Callum and we're reviewing uh, Kingsman Secret Service which I've seen and it's very funny I wasn't expecting it to be funny and it was and he's also reviewing because uh, he's that big animation expert of course Big Hero 6 comes out excellent so, um, excellent yeah. plenty for all of you to look forward to there so uh, thanks to everyone who joined us this week and contributed to the podcast on the website website can be found at www.failedcritics.com and uh, yes, join us next week for uh, more film chat, a dose of Callum Petch, and mm-hmm. some new release reviews. Critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 2002, uh, 24-hour party people. Steve Coogan. No. Damn. Matt, would you like to hazard a guess? I think I know who it is, but I can't remember his name now. Okay. Also 2002, 28 Days Later. Cillian Murphy? No. <sighs> and Owen remembers you had to shout out your name first. Oh, yes, I do. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm breaking the rules. Yes. I apologise. Uh, Matt, would you like to hazard a guess yet? No, I, I will wait for one more shot, please. Okay. Uh, in 2009, they're in G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Fucking hell, who was in G.I. Joe and in 24-hour party people? And Elizabeth. And, and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, yeah. yeah. Uh, God, I don't know. In but. 2012, they're in Song for Marion. <laughs> you put the worst one ever. It's the hardest one since the one I did a few weeks ago. It's not It's not someone like Helen Mirren or someone like that, is it? It is not Helen Mirren. No. Um, 2013, they're in Thought the Dark World. Natalie Portman? Oh, wait, Natalie Portman? No. Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm going to have to go back and pick out some um, names of other films now. Um, I'll do. I'll do two more films, but I'm going to have to go back in time a bit because that was... He's got one film currently in the in the in the works. Um, okay. And uh, yes, so we'll go back to uh, 1996, and they're in a television film called Hillsborough. I mean, so they're definitely British. Mm. So Matt. Yes, Matt. Tom Hiddleston. No, it's not Tom Hiddleston. Uh, who's in Thor? Who's Brit? Uh, what's his name? Christopher uh, Eccleston. It is Christopher. Eccleston. Yes. Oh yes. Thank God for that. Who was he? Gone in sixty seconds. He's the main bad guy. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. God damn it. He was so wow. easy on that. Anyway. Blimey. Wow. That was a good one. A tougher one, though. Well done, you was. guys. Yes. Enjoy your glory. I think that's our first point against the guests as well. Yes, so far. it is. Yeah. Um, on to the news then, and biggest news this week, I suppose, is the Fantastic Four teaser trailer coming out and disappointing cinema goers everywhere. Yes, by biggest news, you mean biggest steaming pile of shit news. <laughs> Yeah, very uh, generous with the term disappointing as well, because that suggests some level of expectation for it prior to watching, which I didn't really have. It just looks really bland and boring, it's, doesn't it? Isn't in the film the the, the stereotypical, or the, the traditional Fantastic Four bad guy, um, Doctor, Doom. Doctor Doom, is a blogger or hacker whose handle is Doom or something, Good. I read. I think I read that. I might be wrong with that. So the Fantastic Four's nemesis is now Perez Hilton. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. They're going after Julian Assange or whatever his name. Yeah. Oh, God. No, I can't. 
I don't really know much about it. I know that the director recently, um, who has been turning up... I mean, the film's delayed quite a bit anyway, I think, because he kept turning up on set and smashing things up and having fits and basically being stoned out of his mind for the entire time, um, has said that the, his main inspiration is David Grodenberg for the Fantastic Four film. Which... Why? <laughs> yeah, basically... I think it's the same that the same way you get uh, Olivia Megaton saying that his inspiration for Taken Three is people like Stanley Kubrick and Tarkovsky. You actually think, well, they might be the people you like, but it doesn't necessarily mean the film you've made is especially a spot inspired by them. Mm. But you know, I haven't seen anything to do with Fantastic Four other than the trailer, as I say. It could very well be very Cronenberg, but I highly doubt it. I can't imagine we'll see too many glimpses of side effects, for example, in Fantastic Four. Hmm. Yeah. Or any sort of um, body horror, you know? No. I know the thing's pretty grotesque looking anyway, but I doubt it has any transformations like in uh, The Fly or, you know, Existence or anything like that. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be still quite family friendly. The previous two Fantastic Fours were kids' films, basically. I know there's an argument that all comic book films are sort of for kids anyway, but the Fantastic Four films were literally aimed at young children. I don't know if it's just me. I'm not like a massive comic book fan compared to, say, yourself, Owen, or or Carol. But um, I've always thought of the Fantastic Four as quite a weak franchise. I find that the characters' powers in it are really uninteresting. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if kids today just didn't find it exciting at all compared to something like The Avengers. Well, there are comic books that um, make the characters... In, you know, it's the same as anybody, really. It depends who's been writing them. But there's a series by a writer called Jonathan Hickman who is notorious for mind-bending stories and plots and like having Reed Richards as an evil entity type thing. And it works really well in context of that series. Um, but like I said, I don't think it's translated to this. I think, as you know, the point you've just made, people aren't really going to be that interested. I don't think it's a massively appealing team. You know, compared to people like the X-Men or the Avengers that you've got out, it's just... They just... They aren't that appealing. I don't like the name of their group. It's goofy, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's too old. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the Famous Five, isn't it? Yeah. It just sounds like the Famous Five or Secret Seven, the Fantastic Four. We expect them to be in, you know, solving, foiling smugglers or something, like in a really <laughs> innocent way. Foiling smugglers and having a picnic rather than having superpowers and saving the world. Yeah, it's kind of outdated and... You know, I think writers, do, some writers do very well to update the characters for the modern times, but you're right, the name is just very lame. Imagine, imagine Marvel getting the rights to the, the famous five and doing something with that. That's like to blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, just if. Yeah. Mind blown. And on yeah. that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, why don't why don't these people making the Fantastic Four and, and Spider-Man just sell the rights back to Marvel because they're doing nothing good with it. Well, there is, there is the argument that um, Spider-Man's not really going to make Sony any money anymore because uh, people aren't that 
fond of them. They've been received quite poorly, I think. Yeah. Um, which, is, so, which is a shame, because Andrew Garfield was pretty good as Spider-Man, but just had two wishy-washy films, really, to be Spider-Man in. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was better than Tobey Maguire, but it's not how I envisage Spider-Man in my head, based upon watching like the, the late 90s uh, TV animation, which was brilliant. Yeah, it was fantastic. But I think the problem with Andrew Garfield was he was a little bit too cool, and that's not necessarily because... Um, you know, the character Peter Parker. It's just quite cool at the moment to be a bit geeky. Therefore, a geeky Peter Parker is actually quite trendy. It's not even and geeky, that's... it's more dorky. There's too much yahoo, whippy in the moment. It's yeah. just really ugh, cringe. Really cringe. Mm. But, um, yeah. I mean, the thing about Marvel and Sony... Sony are never going to sell them unless they go bust. You know, they've yeah. got to hang on to the things, the properties they own that's going to make them money. I suppose they are talking about loaning Spider-Man to Marvel, aren't they, for, yeah. for at some level. Um, which should be interesting. Yeah, particularly for things like Captain America Civil War, which, um, you know has been confirmed and the comic book series has we've talked about it before but it has Spider-Man as the main character in that um, with regards to the Superhero Registration Act mm. where they have to unmask essentially to the public unmask publicly yeah and Spider-Man's one of the, the heroes who refuses he he um, gets into an argument about whether he should and what the you know because being a, a secret identity is a big thing for him because he knows he, you know, his enemies will go after his family and stuff. It's a storyline that's used quite a lot in Spider-Man, as Matt will know from the, the cartoon series in the 90s. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, would the, it's probably a bit strange. You know, how are they going to do this Civil War storyline? Because everyone knows, in, in the Marvel Cinema Universe, as it are now, everyone knows Tony Stark's Iron Man, everyone knows Steve Rogers' Captain America. Um, yeah. Thor's a bit, Thor's. Thor's a bit different. Um Scarlett Johansson, uh, sorry, um, Black Widow and Hawkeye probably aren't really superheroes. They've just got kind of heightened abilities and they're probably not rat hidden identities. So the only one that's really probably a hidden identity at the current Avengers is is people don't really know Hulk is Bruce Banner, I expect, like the general public. Yeah, but even to them, you know, Hulk is still technically something to be feared rather than an Avenger. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's a strange one. I don't really know how they're going to do it. They've got a lot of characters to build into the series anyway. Um, but there's also going to be, obviously, a couple of heroes introduced um, yeah, Black, in Black, Avengers Age Voltron yeah. and in the Phase 2. Yeah. So there's plenty of time for them to introduce characters who are anonymous, you know, people who, who don't have public publicly known identities. But it does feel a little bit like it's being shoehorned in. Mm. Mm. And Daniel Brawl is the other news, I suppose, related to Marvel, um, because he's being cast as Baron Zemo in Captain America Civil War. So he's going to be... The, there's going to be a, a main bad guy, which is quite good. Yeah, I've not seen too much of Daniel Brawl. I mean, I thought he was great in Rush, though. He was. He was great in Rush. And he was in uh, A Most Wanted Man last year as well. You know, the mean, man... And wanted, wanted by most Rush. people, yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> Um, and he was good in that as well. He's been good in quite a few things, um, but uh, yeah. So I mean, he's gonna he's gonna be the bad guy, which will be interesting to see him play that sort of darker character. 
Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think it's also good for the film to have a main villain. Uh, in just a, just because it's quite standard anyway to have a good guy and a bad guy. But in a lot of Marvel's films, they have a bad guy, but they're kind of like side characters to the story. Like the Winter Soldier in The Winter Soldier, you know. He wasn't really the main focus of that film. That was all about S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA. Yeah, um, which worked brilliantly. Which did work well, yeah. Um, but it did mean they introduced a character like Winter Soldier and really could have been the main focus, but wasn't. You know, they even did it with Iron Man 2, with Whiplash. He's just a kind of annoyance for, for, for the hero. So, oh yeah, I mean, but um, Baron Zemo is a, one of Captain America's main villains, so... But I mean, they're not, they're, they're not the only ones guilty of making kind of a main villain kind of a, a secondary character or annoyance. Yeah. I mean, in, in the Batman films, under Nolan, Bane just became a, a henchman more than anything else, didn't he? Yeah, they they really didn't use his character. He was, the... he was henchman number one, in effect. Mm. Yeah, first half of the movie he was everything, and then by exactly. the end he disappeared into insignificance. Mm. He was the man riding around on a truck for the, the second half of the film with a megaphone. But uh, yeah, it's an, it's not uncommon, I suppose. But it, I mean, at least having someone like Daniel Ball attached to Civil War gives me a bit of hope for it. Yeah. Mm. More so than I've got for Fantastic Four. Yes, that's fair to say. Um, so that's all really for the news for this week. Up next, we have got our Triple Bill, long-awaited return Triple Bill, where we have a look at our favourite artificial intelligences from the world of film. Time for Triple Bill now, and we're taking a look at favourite um, artificial intelligence in film, in honour, I suppose, of the new release we're reviewing this week, Ex Machina. So, uh, Owen has found some definitions of what artificial official intelligence is so we can't really break the rules like James would if he was here <laughs> yeah um, well I've got three definitions for you okay first one I've got is for the word artificial and this is just searching for you know Google define so the first one is artificial uh, the description is made or produced by human beings rather than occurring naturally especially as a copy of something natural Okay, that's artificial. Intelligence is defined as the ability to acquire and apply knowledge and skills. So the definition for the term artificial intelligence, according to Google, um, the theory and development of computer systems able to perform tasks normally requiring human intelligence, such as visual perception, speech recognition, decision making and translation between languages. So to me... Those, those, all of those together don't really match up very well, because artificial intelligence in a film usually means a big bad computer that's got some form of sentience. It's got its own, its own mind, its own wills, and it ends up being the thing that's going to threaten humanity. I mean, what, what do you guys think of artificial intelligence as a, as a? definition because i don't think the one that's on google is particularly relevant like i was saying in, in the chat we had before we started recording i think that it's um an entity 
that is able to to think for itself that is not born of the flesh is mm-hmm. this my simplest way of looking at artificial intelligence whether it's good or bad is is irrelevant mm-hmm. but then you get things like um the transformers so just refer a few spanners in the work or cyborgs you know the transformers are aliens that are made of metal they're actual life forms but you know cyborgs as well it's a person but then it's got a computer in it but does a transformer not have to have some form of initial programming for, for it then to be able to develop its own consciousness? It's not born with the ability to think for itself. It's constructed and then something's put into it. Uh, possibly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's kind of one of those... I, I mean, I read a few different articles um, recently. I'm writing something for the site at the moment about artificial intelligence films. And reading a few different things about it, there's no one standard definition that I could find of artificial intelligence. You know, even on Wikipedia, it's, you know, very theoretical, and then you've got some very very uh, philosophical interpretations of what it could mean. Um, I think it really means something created by man that has now taken on its own personality and will. Okay. So that's a good description of, of sentient yeah. artificial intelligence. Yes. So I think, <laughs> for the purposes of our, our triple bill, it should be something made by people rather than occurring naturally, like the definition that, that's on there for artificial, with the ability to apply knowledge and skills and acquire new skills. Does that sound fair? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay, let's go for it then. Who's going to go first? Why don't you go first, Owen? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I shall start. No, um, no cheating. No cheating, no. Okay, I'm going to stick to my own rules this time. Um, okay, I'm going to, I've got three films, obviously, but I'm going to start with one that's slightly more obscure, I think, and then gradually build to the one that I think we can all agree is a really good film and has a very interesting use of artificial intelligence in it. Okay. I've also left out, in, including this obscure one, because I really do think it's a genuinely brilliant piece of um, use of artificial intelligence. I've left a couple of big films out, which I've got my fingers crossed a couple of you are going to uh, mention as well at some point anyway. So, my first choice, the most obscure pick, uh, is a South Korean film, of course, called Doomsday Book. Or, uh, to give it the title, if you kind of literally translate it from Korean, is Report on the Destruction of Mankind. I like that one. Yeah, good. Uh, (laughs) It's a three-part anthology film, which is just shy of two hours, actually. But it's directed um, jointly. There's two two guys who worked on it. Uh, Yim Pilsung, who is known for... I I assume he's mostly known for the film Hansel and Gretel in 2007 quite a popular Korean sort of horror film. And uh, Kim Ji-Woon, who should be more familiar to you, is the guy who directed The Good, The Bad, The Weird. Uh, he did The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. And he did, of course, I Saw the Devil as well. So both two fairly well-known um, directors were involved in this project. Um, but yeah, there's each of the three short stories in it. They're only connected by the fact they're about a threat or impending apocalypse. So they're not linked narratively with each other, um, or with the characters, or anything like that. So the first part is a zombie story, 
And the third final part is a weird kind of fantasy story about a little girl and an eight ball. But neither of them are what I want to discuss. It's actually the second segment in this anthology film called The Heavenly Creature. Uh, that was, well, firstly, it was the best segment in the film by a distance. And secondly, it was the one that actually featured AI, so it made the whole thing relevant. <laughs> um, but yeah, specifically, it had a robot in it called Inmyung, who is owned by a Buddhist temple, who claimed, who, th- this robot then claims to have reached enlightenment. Wow. Yeah, so the Buddhists call out an engineer who tests him, can't find any any faults with the robot, um, but then the engineer's bosses want to decommission Inmyung, as he's kind of an out-of-date model anyway. So they want, to, they want to decommission him, and there's some sort of ethical quandaries around that. So the main point of the story is that it's all, it's all about... It's, it's not just artificial intelligence in a measured format, like we've discussed, a, a sticking to those defined principles, but it's also about the transcendence from, from worker droid to a spiritually awakened machine. And what I love about it is the majority of films that use AI... Even in like Ex Machina, which we're going to talk about a bit later, and Transcendence, which came out last year, uh, stretching all the way back to things like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the original novel. Um, you know, it, it, it's the idea of messing about with things that you don't understand will potentially be our doom. That's what that's what's going to be our doom for you know that you're not meant to play God and in attempt, attempting to create a machine that can not just kind of think and act like a human, but potentially outthink and outperform us. Uh, well, that will invariably lead to a robot uprising and the end of hum- humanity as we know it. But in the Kim, jo- uh, Kim Ji-Woon directed and written short story, the robot has surpassed the human race in one way, you know, at least he claims to have. Um, but he's a complete and utter non-threat. He's a pacifist Buddhist monk who has reached a state of nirvana that few people have ever claimed to have actually achieved. Thus making him not only superior technically, but spiritually. And I think it adds a whole new level to the threat of um, artificial intelligence. You know, despite the fact that I say he's he's not himself a threat. Um, but it's the way that it threatens the evolution of, of mankind. And it kind of challenges what, what life is. It challenges what artificial intelligence uh, can mean. And, you know, the story itself is really tense. It's got a gripping finale. And it's just fascinating. It's just a really interesting idea. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my first choice. It's on US Netflix as well, uh, if you've got any interest in watching it. Oh, and, I like um, the sound of that one. It's really worth it, honestly. It's really good. I mean, the first part of the film about zombies <laughs> is, all right, it had the honour of being the first and only Korean zombie film I've seen. That would be um, cool, Zombies of AI. Yeah. Um, but the final segment's a bit weak. It's a bit weak. So you could just skip to the second segment in the film, Heavenly Creature, and watch that. It's about half an hour long. I think half an hour, 40 minutes in total for just that segment. Um, in the film Doomsday Book. Really, really interesting idea. So I'm going to be a bit quicker with my next two because I'm sure there's not much here for me to say that I've not said already in the past or hasn't been discussed a million times elsewhere anyway. So my second choice, uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey and the onboard spaceship's computer called HAL, which takes it upon itself to complete the mission assigned to the crew on his own 
after figuring out that he can be more than just a tool for the humans, but exist in his own right and complete the, the mission. Um, have you? Uh, I might have asked you already, Matt, in the past. Have you seen Two Thousand One Space Odyssey? No, before? I really need to to get my arse together and, and and watch this. But yeah, presumably you're aware of how. I understand that he's a murderous twat. <laughs> That's my way of putting it, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, so, I mean, in in the context of the film, Hal is kind of like a more sophisticated version of the, uh, well, the bone club that's used by the cavemen in the opening segment of the film, which is used to kind of beat a tapir to death. Um, Hal is kind of like an infallible machine. He's meant to be, um, uh, in his calculations, I suppose, um, kind of means to an end for the crew. He's effectively a way for humans to reach the next monolith, uh, which is to kind of suggest the next stage of human evolution by reaching a new stage of, of uh, knowledge and understanding. So it's quite a kind of uh, strange way of, of, of creating artificial intelligence in the film anyway. Um, but, you know, as such, he's kind of treated with extreme caution by Dave and his fellow astronaut, Frank, when uh, they, when Hal begins to display kind of like an alarming degree of self-awareness. And, uh, I mean, I talked about the, the film uh, in more general terms as a whole last week, so I'm not going to go over the same ground again. But, you know, suffice to say, it's one of my favourite movies and the iconic scenes with Hal and not opening the pod bay doors to let Dave and his friend's lifeless corpse back into the ship is famous for a reason. It's because it's it's because of how because of what he represents and how terrifying a concept it is. So that's my that's my second choice. Finally, one I kind of had my fingers crossed you'd all pick as well. We could have a more general discussion about this because I think it deserves it. Uh, Skynet, uh, of course, is my final choice, and. I don't mean the real-life UK military communication system that they eerily decided to call Skynet. It's beautiful. That's amazing, but it's also terrifying. Um, <laughs> but it's the antagonist in the Terminator films. Um, you know, the first artificial intelligent machine uh, that actually you see its creator, Miles Dyson, uh, played by Joe Morton, who sacrifices himself to blow it up in Terminator 2 to prevent uh, a robot uprising, you know. Um, but, you know, it doesn't seem to succeed and humanity's overthrown by the robots anyway, but there you go. Uh, obviously, it's not just Skynet, but the Terminator machines themselves are, without a doubt, sentient AI forms with a kind of humanoid body and are entirely menacing. Did either of you two pick or think of picking Terminator? Yeah, it seemed the, the most obvious one when we brought yes. the theme up originally and... It's probably the most famous AI in all of the movie history. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that, that we're definitely going to discuss it in, in, in more depth. And similar to how you're discussing with Hal in, in Space Odyssey, when you consider how old the story mm. of Terminator actually is now and how it predates a lot about what we know about um, science and information technology in general, how forward-thinking the people who wrote the story of Terminator had to be to come up with something like like Skynet, that a system that can think to itself to use nuclear weapons, which is always the most terrifying mm -hmm. um, impending disaster uh, of mankind can imagine. 
is pretty impressive. And it hasn't really aged at all. It's still very much in the public conception, if you like, that that particular scenario is still very much a threat. And when everyone talks about the dangers of the impending age of artificial intelligence, mm. they imagine the Terminator scenario to a T. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what people they think of when they think of uh, artificial intelligence, that we'll, we'll, we'll be overthrown by some, you know, unstoppable metallic creatures that that are destroying humanity and wiping them out because they've got no need for us anymore. Now, that's why it's so terrifying. It's just a terrifying concept. And Skynet is kind of the basis for that. I mean, did, did you include it as well, Steve? Or did you think it was too obvious? I thought you'd do it, so, and I, okay, kind of took a, I took a different route with mine as well. Okay, cool. Well, okay. Well, I think I, um, I'll leave mine there then because it uh, sounds like you've got something else to say about it anyway. Well, yes, I kind of went for the opposite of of uh, AI and robots trying to take over the world and kill all humans, and I went for just three three nice ones. Okay, good. Uh, I'm going to start off with uh, Johnny Five from Short Circuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I he's just a nice little robot, isn't he? Lovely little guy. Yeah, yeah. happy little chap can read books. <laughs> can read books really quickly. Has uh, a bit of a laugh. Yeah, that's that's Johnny Five. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that scene with "I Need a Hero" in the background, I can still remember watching that for the first time as a kid and just thinking it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, second, uh, and there could have been a few, few uh, AIs or robots from this film, but I've gone for the main one, and that's Wally from uh, <laughs> Pixar's Wally. Um, looks similar to to Johnny Five in many ways. Um, but saves mankind and Earth. But you could have quite easily picked either um, Evie or the ha- very how-looking Auto from Wally as well. Yeah, uh, it does. But no, I went for the, I went for the main man himself. Yeah, he's such a, a nice little character as well, isn't he? Yeah. You just can't help but like him. Yeah, he's just. Quite an original little, not in look, but in character, you know, a robot that's quite self-aware, but nice and happy, seemingly, yeah. even though he's on Earth all on his own. Collect- it's just, yeah. it's, it's kind of like his fascination with humans and the things we've left behind on Earth that, yeah. that make him quite endearing, isn't it? Yeah. And and him doing his little dance to that old video. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, most, most of these kind of animations yes. have the characters dance at some point, don't they? Yes. Um... But I've never seen the two in my final choice dance. Uh, they are a duo. They do come together. It's going to annoy Owen, but I don't care. It's R2-D2 and C-3PO mm. from from <laughs> from the Star Wars. The Star Wars. From yeah. the Star Wars. Um, Wars of the Stars. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. I don't think there's any finer example of what mankind can create um, to help them than a gold neurotic robot that can speak six million languages and a little shit of a robot with loads of gadgets on him. Yeah. <laughs> AI that can annoy you to death. And I, and, I don't, and I don't think there's any argument that they are certainly have their own personalities and, and free will until Han Solo gets fed up with you in the Millennium Falcon and turns you off. Yeah. I suppose that's fair. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, I thought I'd go a different way and pick nice ones that aren't going to kill us all. Well, you definitely need an R2-D2 if you're visiting the Dagobah system, otherwise you're pretty screwed. Yeah. Um, Nerds. It's <laughs> <laughs> coming yeah, from someone cool. who just led, led the, the ten minute discussion on comic book films. It's a bit rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Matt, what's, what's your three? Um, I'm going to skim through mine because the ones that I'm going to discuss have been featured on the Thel Critic site. They've probably been talked about in numerous podcasts before, but I'm going to start off with a film that I covered in my 1983 decade in a review piece, which was uh, War Games, which stars in an early role for Matthew Broderick as a curious computer programmer stroke geek who accidentally hacks into the US government's mainframe and starts to play a game of global thermonuclear war against the Russians accidentally, um, where the AI comes into it, he feel, thinks that he's accessed some sort of private uh, network which allows him or offers him the choice of playing blackjack or poker. He sees the option for global thermonuclear war and goes for it, and, and doesn't realise that he's setting a chain of events um, that could result in the end of the world. Uh, ultimately, the film climatizes with him having a showdown with the computer named Joshua in a game of noughts and crosses um, where the fate of the world is dependent upon the result and he has to stalemate um, the the computer enough times for it to learn that no one's going to actually come out on top in the end and then global nuclear war is averted. Uh, it's very entertaining, particularly how... Again, it reaches quite far into the future, in particular uh, as it considers the forthcoming technologies in the early dawn and the early 80s of the rise of computers in the home, never mind in the use of, of the military. So it's it's kind of quirky. Uh, it's a little bit cheesy. I don't think it's too dated, so it's worth checking out. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix, so it shouldn't be too hard to find if you want to check that out. Um, second one, um, getting a little bit darker but far more entertaining is 1999's The Matrix, directed by the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. And this was the film, I probably the first time I came out of the cinema thinking, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> am I actually in this this world that this movie has just described? Um, and it was the, the film that made me go out and buy my first DVD player because I needed to see this film in all of its high-resolution glory. Um, VHS just wasn't going to cut us um, but it's I think we've all seen The Matrix by now and we know how good it is and how important to the movie it is and uh, the sci-fi genre it's the, the story of um, humans who have been um, entrapped into a world whereby they are slaves to machines and a power source and they have to um, use um, a network from machines to um, try and protect their real-life subterranean world where they are safe. Um, it's got one of the best soundtracks uh, of any film that I can remember seeing um, in the last 10, 15 years or so. And um, it's definitely famous for setting uh, genre-defining techniques such as bullet time, and the excellent uh, Kung Fu coordination, uh, choreographed scenes in it. Um, I can't imagine what um, what 
the action sci-fi genre would have been like if this film hadn't been made because it's been parodied to death and copied and inspired so many others since then. So an incredibly important film. Um, again, it features a more tyrannical version of, of AI that's out to, to kill everybody for, for, to save its own neck. Um, but it's definitely worthy of inclusion in our AI list, I think. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, you, I mean, you mentioned how um, important it is. It's kind of like the the way Monty Python changed comedy. And, you know, without Monty Python, things would probably be a lot different. However, just like kind of Monty Python, for me, I'm, I don't really enjoy them. And I don't really enjoy The Matrix. I kind of feel like it's dated very badly. Did you enjoy it at the time, though? Mm, See, I watched the the first time I watched it. I had a mate. Uh, I was in school, obviously, um, but I had a mate who who stayed over, and he bought a load of v, uh, the pirated VHS films with him. And one of them was The Matrix, and we sort of watched it, and it was really crap quality. And he fell asleep halfway through, and it was just like, yeah, I didn't really enjoy that. And I only watched it again when I was a bit older, and by that time, like I say, I, I felt it had dated quite a lot. Just the sort of music and and things. However, it is definitely you know, very important in, in what it what it's done for films, particularly around the sort of sci-fi and action genres. Mm. So I do appreciate it, I just don't like it very much. It's definitely a good example of the initial inspiration for the film being the better part of the overall project because the sequels to The Matrix are, are utterly disappointing. Mm. Um, Reloaded, okay, but uh, Revelations is just far too high on its own hype by that stage and it's just absolute drivel which is unfortunate because it could have left an even stronger legacy than it has done mm. um, but I think as a as a purist you can watch the first one and forget the other two even exist because it, it can it sort of seals itself it, yeah it doesn't need sequels does it no I don't think it does no. so in that respect as an isolated movie on its own it's just fine Mm. You don't have to watch it as part of the rancid trilogy that it became, unfortunately. <laughs> and it certainly is a really interesting take on AI. Because like you said, how it kind of blew your mind. It was, uh, I wouldn't say completely original, but it, it certainly was un- seen before in the cinema. So, yeah, very good choice, I think. Yeah, it made me look, in, in my naive young eyes, made me look at the world a little bit differently. <laughs> at least temporarily. <laughs> Yeah. So moving on to my last one, it ties in with the Matrix, and knowing you're probably expecting me to drop this one in. <laughs> it's uh, 1995's anime extravaganza, Ghost in the Shell. It's one of my all-time favourite movies, one that we've covered in depth mm-hmm. on the website, and I know you're a big fan of this as well, Owen. So yeah, I do. I do. Really lo- I really like it. Yeah. Yeah. So Ghost in the Shell is the story of a special police unit that specialises in being half uh, human, half cyborg to a degree. Uh, and we've reached a point in time whereby people's personalities can be downloaded from out of their human bodies into robotic shells, hence the name mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, the uh, protagonist in the movie is a terrorist known as the Puppet Master, which is able to download itself in and out of um, cybernetic hosts as it commits a crime spree around uh, Japan and the special task force are, are on the hunt for the puppet master um 
where it becomes evident uh, through the movie that it's not just a, a personality that's been downloaded out of a human body into a, a robotic shell. It is actually an AI that has become self-aware and is learning uh, and is seeking uh, a, a human host to, to enter, um, which leads to questions of humanity and, and spirituality as the main topics of the of the film is the, the sort of hero of the movie. Um, can't remember her name though. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, what's, yeah. Anyway, she, she uh, being quite a deep thinker starts to question her own existence. But if it's become uh, evident at this stage in history that people can, or sorry, that uh, an AI can exist and just hop into different bodies, whether she is actually real or not. And she starts to question um, mm. the source of her own being, um, which ultimately results into a showdown with uh, the puppet masters. They try to apprehend it, and they merge into a, a new personality, a new persona, or a new soul, if you like, which is neither one or the other, but a combination of the two. Um, it ends on, after a, a nice dramatic battle sequence with... Um, Again, a, a more moral posing. It, the ending to The Ghost in the Shell is, is quite open-ended. Uh, you're not really sure what's going to happen after that point where they've merged personalities and whether the puppet master will take con- more control and begin causing more problems for, for the human race or whether the hero's personality will use that uh, AI's knowledge for the better good. Mm. So it leaves it on a, on a great cliffhanger. There are sequels to Ghost in the Shell, which I haven't seen, uh, purely because I don't really want to spoil um, my enjoyment of the first one. There's, there's nothing worse than when you, you really adore a movie and sequels come many years down the line that perhaps could have been avoided and you become hesitant to want to see them in case it spoils your the original opinion or adulation you have for the original, which is how I feel of Ghost in the Shell. Um, I like it so much that I don't want to see the sequels which yeah. is it's kind of like how i feel with terminator one and two <laughs> both masterpieces uh, and, and thoroughly entertaining even so many years later i don't want to see terminator 3 i already know it's bad but i don't want to know how bad it is in case it, it spoils my opinion of the other two so uh, i used to uh, i used to have a mate who really liked the first terminator thought terminator thought the original, The Terminator, was absolutely brilliant. He loved the concept of it. He loved the, the film, quite rightly, because it's a brilliant film. He then said Terminator 2 was rubbish. He hated it. thought it was crap, children's action, crappy comedy sort of film. But then said Terminator 3 was really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't take this guy seriously. I, can't, I, can't, I couldn't take his film review seriously after that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen Terminator Salvation either. I've seen Salvation. And oh, you have? Yeah, okay. and I, I tend to look at that one as part of the ongoing reboot. I don't like uh, enjoy it as part of the original uh, double by, by James Cameron. It's good in its own right. It's fine. Um, yeah. Sam Worthington's just oddly cast in it. Which I just don't understand that. Bale's pretty good. As far as, Are you looking as far forward as to uh, you looking forward to Genesis? Yeah, I've got no expectations for it though whatsoever. So whatever happens is, is fine if it's yeah 
dog shit. Not a problem. <laughs> if it surprises me, then then great. But yeah. it looks, Le- as a premise, better than Terminator 3 looks. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, do, I mean, I was sort of half expecting you to bring up uh, Paul Verhoeven films, uh, specifically Robocop. I thought you might well, see. Speak. I I I considered that, and I also considered using a Robocop for a recommended film that we're going to do later. But okay. I don't know if it technically falls into AI because it's it's still Murphy's brain and personality mm. being uh, conflict well, we being conflicted or guided by programming at the same time. So I don't well, know whether well, that, I think that's just more straightforward cyborg that is it's a human with so. mechanical parts than an AI so I weaned away from Robocop although I was very tempted although the thing... there are AIs in that like Ed, yeah, Ed yeah. 209 and, and, and whatever but... exactly but the thing I think the thing about Robocop is that what makes it such a really good film is apart from being just fantastically entertaining um, is some of the concepts around Robocop and about how is it a robot with a bits of a man inside of it or is it a man trapped inside of a robot shell you know it's kind of there are two ways of, of looking at robocop I yeah think. there's a little bit of ghost in the shell in there yeah, it, yeah. Is, is it the human soul ultimately will win over the machine at least that was the kind of message that you were getting um from the reboot of robocop whereby he was able yeah, to, yeah. to break his prime... His personality was strong enough to break the prime directives, which I thought was bullshit. But, anyway. but that was that was definitely a man with robot bits attached to him. Mm-hmm. Whereas the original was... I kind of... I always thought of it as a robot that had got bits of a man inside of it. And I kind of... I mean, every time I see it, I swing between thinking that and thinking of him as a cyborg, you know, a bloke with a gun in his leg and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah. It'd still kick Terminator's ass anyway, wouldn't he, really? <laughs> did, you ever, did you ever play the video game Robocop vs. Terminator back in the day? I did, yes. It was pretty cool. Where do you stand on the debate, Steve? You Robocop or Terminator? Oh, Terminator. You reckon? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think Robocop might swing it. I don't know. Time travel could be of, a, of an age. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. Could do. But the game was solid, from what I remember. Yeah, it was very hard. It was pretty cool, though. But uh, to to settle the debate, I think a a T-1000 would probably nail Robocop. Whether Robocop would smash up a a T-100 is another story. Yeah. Yeah, There's there's mileage in this. They should make a film. Anyway, sorry, we're going off on a bit of a tangent, aren't we? Yes, we are. Um, (laughs) Maybe it's time to end that tangent and triple bill. Um, up next is our new release review. So, on to the final part of the podcast now, where we're reviewing uh, this week's new release, which is Ex Machina, directed and written by Alex Garland and starring Don Hall Gleason, Oscar Isaac, and Alicia Vikander. Uh, a story about AI, as we have been discussing that for a lot of the podcast, um, and inventor, creator, uh, played by Oscar Isaac, called Nathan, uh, is set to, or has been building his own artificial intelligence, and um, 
Caleb, played by Don Paul Gleeson, gets to visit him um, at his at his research facility and interact with said AI. Uh, me and Owen have seen this. Matt has not, although he will probably quiz us about the film during this section. But Owen, what did you think of it? I liked it. Um, I don't think it's perfect. I think there's definitely faults with it, but I definitely um, enjoyed it. And I liked the fact that we've got a sci-fi film about an AI and, you know, the whole idea that can it pass a Turing test to deter, you know, to anyone who's not familiar with it by now, I don't know what you've been doing for the last 12 months because the whole Turing test has been everywhere. But for a Turing test is, can a machine convince a human that it's a person if the other person doesn't know that it's a machine? So that's kind of like the test that they do early on in Blade Runner, right? Exactly. It is. The, yeah, it's the same thing, yeah. Um, so if it can fool a human into thinking it's a real person, um, it passes the Turing test. And it's kind of a fallacy that no machine has done that, because there are machines that have tricked people into thinking they're real. You know, I mean, AI does sort of exist in the real world in one format or another. It's not a complete science fiction. Although what makes this film a science fiction um, is the fact that it's Ava is a kind of fully humanoid mechanism. Looks like a woman, talks like a woman, sounds like a woman, acts like a woman as well, in many respects. Um, and it tries to convince Caleb, who knows that it's a robot, that she can be sentient, as we've sort of discussed about the whole artificial intelligence thing. I thought she was very good. She was a very well-written character. Um... I mean, what, I mean, how did you feel about her, Steve? Because I suppose that's the main thing. It's not about what you think of her, it's how you feel about Ava. What, did, what, did, what was your opinion of Ava? I thought Ava was, was a good character. I mean, if you, if you hadn't have seen all the robotics inside of her, you would have been convinced that it was a normal, you know, real person. Hmm. Um, I think the, the person who played, it, played her uh, played the role very well because it wasn't, she was playing a robot that wasn't being a robot, basically. Yes, um, yeah. it's a very tricky role to play, sure. Especially when everyone else knows that you're a robot as well, so it wasn't like mm. she could just play it normally and there's going to be a big, <laughs> you know, play it as a, as a normal person and then all of a sudden there's a big reveal later on, or it's a robot, um, yeah. or a site, or android, whatever you want to call it. The film itself, I don't know if I liked it or not. It certainly, okay. I certainly came out of it thinking... Um, about the film quite a lot and about artificial intelligence and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I still can't work out whether I liked it or not. That's the thing. I definitely didn't yeah. dislike it. Um, but... I think it was an intelligent film, definitely. Like I say, it makes you think. And, yeah, um... certainly, certainly intelligent. certainly makes you think about certain things around that issue because AI of that level might not actually be that far away. I mean, not like oh, yeah. not like next year, but sort of decades away. Just yeah, that's true. I mean, a, a full, true AI. Um, well, I suppose we don't really know. It's difficult to say how close we are to it. But you know, as I said earlier, there have been machines that have tricked people into thinking that they're, <laughs> they're real humans. So it's not too much of a fantasy to think it's that far that we're that far off it. Um, a fully walking, convincingly human-looking AI is entirely different, of course. But um, 
I mean, the phrase, the, the title of the film, Ex Machina, refers to uh, Deus Ex Machina, you know, God from the machine. So the point of the film is, well, it's twofold. I mean, is it the God from the machine as in the man is the God creating the machine or have man created a god in a machine and that's again going back to all the things we we're talking perhaps not with wally or um any of those but the fact the fact that it's it's a terrifying concept to think that um something like an ai something we could create something that we it's discussed during the film with nathan um played by oscar isaac because you know it's a compulsion to make this if you can why wouldn't you make it even though there is the threat or the idea that it could eventually be what wipes out humanity. And so certainly, definitely makes you think about, about artificial intelligence and its importance and, you know, what role it, what, what, what role it could play. Um, but I think the film itself, it's, it lets itself down by being a bit too light on some topics. So um, Nathan constantly tells Caleb to stop analysing um, Ava, to stop thinking about her as a machine and just tell him how he feels when he interacts with her. Um, and part of that is to obviously make sure the plot can move along at a nice pace and, you know, so you can get a, an idea of, of what's happening between the characters, but also to to sort of stop the film being bogged down in too much jargon and theoretical uh, concepts and you know stuff you don't really need to see in a film like this um, stuff that can be introduced and then perhaps not expanded on but then in some ways the stuff that isn't expanded on that should have been expanded on is a hindrance to the film so I guess what I'm trying to say is things like sexuality is brought into it about why did Nathan make Ava as uh, to look like a woman. And that's kind of addressed, but perhaps you had a different reaction to me, Sue, but I thought that that was something that was very swiftly dodged. Um, you know, why Why was she um, a she? Why was she a she? Why wasn't she a man? Or why wasn't she completely sexless, you know? I mean, I suppose... If it's if if the android or robot is completely sexless or genderless, it's it's easier for the person, um, you know, mm. re- interacting with them to to just kind of say that's not a real human, mm-hmm. or that because there's no gender. So rather yeah. rather than being one, the other, or or both, as some people might be, this what this was neither completely neither completely in appearance everything plain and neutral and for that reason you're thinking well, that's definitely not a human then because it's yeah yeah the, the the sec but that's just that's just aesthetic there's there was i could see no reason uh in terms of the actual test for for Ava to be sexualized in any way either in appearance or when Nathan's talking to to Caleb um and that's maybe was was Nathan's way of I don't know, leading Caleb down a certain path to get the answers that he wanted mm. that he just kind of brushed over because he was pissed all the time and you couldn't get a straight <laughs> answer out of him. Yeah, I suppose there's that to it as well. Um, it was part of his character trait, I suppose, to be quite ambiguous and, and like I said, pissed all the time. Not not very straight. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. Well, there were, I mean, that sort of I felt could have been could have been expanded on a little bit more within the film. Partly because I think the reason is if you're like as super intelligent as Nathan is and you seemingly have a limitless amount of money, um, of course he's kind of going to make it female. That's what I felt. He's a straight heterosexual bloke who clearly is a bit of a womanizer in in some ways. I just felt he was a bit of a sex pest. That's how I felt about him. But, yeah, as the film yeah. went on, you did kind of get that impression about him. I mean, maybe the, the film... We probably can't talk too much about the outcome of the film, because it's quite oh, no, out, of course not. And yeah. it, there's a fair few twists and turns and everything in the film. Hmm. No, yeah, but, nothing's but, really as it seems, no, is it? But, I mean, maybe maybe the movie would have planned that, you know, played that differently if Nathan had created all his AIs as a guy. Yeah, well... You would assume so, yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, they... But then it might have been somebody else who would have been the protagonist, you know? Yeah. So it might not have been Caleb, it could have been... Yeah. Everything could have changed if it was... uh, If if Ava was, you know, an Adam or something, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I mean, like, overall, I I did enjoy it. I thought it it was quite good. There was lots of things to make you think, and... It, the effects in it were pretty good. I know that wasn't what it was primarily trying to do, uh, was trying to create sort of really good CGI's, but I thought Ava looked really good. Yeah, so it, it certainly started... Yeah, I mean, sorry, it certainly was it was a bit different. Um, mm. You know, whereas, whereas a lot of films of that kind of ilk would have ended up going down the road of kill all humans by the end of it. <laughs> this one... This one well, a little bit, but not not properly, you know. Um, it's the, I think the the thing about the kill all humans bit in in uh, Ex Machina is you've got the way that she's introduced is she's constantly behind a glass screen, and the first the very first time you see her, well, even just before you see her, Caleb walks into the area where she's kind of kept behind this screen, and he, you just see a little crack yeah. in the glass. And that either suggests, you know, someone's tried to get in or or she has tried to get out. Or someone has tried to get, you know, to yeah. either Nathan's tried to get to Ava through or Ava's tried to get to Nathan or whatever's happened. You know, you just see this crack. And I think that's part of what makes her seem so um, dangerous in a way. Even though she becomes quite... You, you do empathise with the situation. You You think, well, she's... She's never been outside, and she's kept in this glass case for her entire existence. Um, but at the same time, she is being kept behind a glass screen. Could it be for a reason? What's the crack for? And it plays on that quite a bit. So it, she does seem quite dangerous, I think, which is um, another uh, well-done aspect to the film. Can I just ask one thing? Yeah, that I'm not clear on from any of the the marketing that I've seen from the film or what I've read about it briefly. But does the movie explain why that they've created it? I presume that she's not supposed to be weaponized. So is it is it purely a challenge of trying to program the AI that has inspired them to create her? Or I mean, what's, what's the it, purpose? It just from from what you gather in the film, there's no real explanation as to the why he. Nathan has created AI or AIs just purely it seems to be because he's got a lot of money he's really clever and he wants to do it yeah 
but part of the film itself is um, almost like a social commentary because he owns a, an internet search engine. Doesn't it's not Google? I'll just put that out there. It's not Google. It's not Bing. Well, it's not Yahoo. It's, it's not but it's Skynet. It's as it's as big as Google in this film. It, it's basically it, a, a replacement of Google. Precisely, yeah. So the the point is, it's all to do with information gathering and what is being collected about you, and how is that being used. So like. Part of the film is he uses the information that his company has gathered on people illegally to put it towards the way that he built the machine or whatever it was, you know, the way that her facial expressions work. He used it by videoing everyone through their mobile phone cameras. And, and, stuff. and, so are and they I mean, trying to conclude that this AI that they've created is the culmination of the entire consciousness of everyone that's used in their search engine. Or yeah, like so it's like the idea that if you've, you you are giving this information, you've got no control over this information, and it could be put towards, you know, it's a very fantastical idea that it goes towards a, an artificial intelligence that could potentially destroy mankind or whatever, it, you know, the purpose may be. But it's, it's a commentary on the information that's being gathered. You don't know what it's being gathered for. It could be being used for something as dangerous as this, or it could just be sold to Tesco so they know what kind of things you look at and will advertise yeah. you with spam emails. You, know, you, don't, you don't have a control over that. There's also the point in the film, and this isn't really spoiling anything, um, but Caleb's talking to Nathan, because um, you know, Nathan chose him to come and, and visit him and said, did you, base, did you base Ava's facial appearance on my pornography history? Which kind yeah. of suggests, you know, was, he, of... was he looking, you know, was he tailoring everything towards the person who was based on his search history? Was he harvesting data to create this person or experience for him? Yeah, I mean, because basically Caleb wins competition within the company. Um, he's, you know, he works for Nathan's company, so he wins his competition to go there. And the whole time you're questioning the legitimacy of the competition he's won anyway. Um... But you're right. I mean, it calls into question all these kind of things. And but I think mainly, though, mainly it, it is just a. Uh, he made it because he cared. He made it because he's got the ability to. But as far as the film's narrative goes, or the concept behind the narrative, is it's because it's trying to say, look, be careful what information you're putting out there. That's yeah. the reason that the film kind of exists. Yeah, but you know, at no point is, is Nathan saying, "Oh, I'm gonna." whack out 100,000 of these and sell them to the highest bidder no. as, you know, as, as military work or, or I'm going to make these as kind of domestic servants for the people's homes. He's just like, well, yeah, I'm a billionaire, he's well clever and I'm going to make a robot that's real, mm-hmm. a real person. Yeah. What but, do, um, yeah, so, sorry, Steve, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, what do we think of um, the director and... and um, screenplay writer Alex Garland who, who who wrote and directed this and has is um written 28 days later or screenplay for 28 days later sunshine and dread recently as mm. well um well if you did I dread mean, I like him <laughs> lots of hits in his is uh, well only half a dozen films that he's been involved with uh 28 weeks later as an executive producer um but yeah he seems to be seems to be um, on the yeah. rise and, and doing a lot of good work. I, re- I really liked uh, Never Let Me Go. I read the book before, uh, like about a year before the film, I even knew the film existed, and I 
that is a really clever and also kind of like a low-key sci-fi, in a way. Um, and he adapted the, the screenplay for that. And it, it was very well done. It captured, it changed parts of the book, but it captured the essence and the tone really well. Very sinister, but kind of like something bubbling under the surface, which is also there in Ex Machina. Completely different, of course. You wouldn't believe he's the same guy who wrote the screenplay for Dread and is now attached to uh, a Halo film as well, I believe. So, but it's a it's a very promising um, debut. Nothing like uh, the Danny Boyle films that he's worked on. No. It doesn't, doesn't feel like a Danny Boyle film at all. No. It feels very um, uh, original. It, you know, it's, it's his own style, which is quite good. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's all really for our discussion, the discussion of x and Just one more thing before we go uh, for this week. That's our recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going for Friday night on Film 4 at 9 o'clock is the excellent Zombieland. <laughs> Good uh, choice. Very funny. Um, Owen? Uh, wine's not very funny. Um, uh, well, given that today is the 70th anniversary of the liberation of uh, the Jews who were held at Auschwitz. Well, this, this isn't going to be funny then, is it? It's not funny at all. Uh, the, hol- um, the Holocaust and humour uh, only share a couple of letters in the word, and that's about it. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Stop laughing, uh, Owen. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, deadly serious. Yeah, yeah. So I'll put my sombre face on. Um, and so the BBC are congesting their channels at the moment with all things related to concentration camps and the world war which is fine i think it's kind of fitting um but i'm going to recommend a documentary from sorry i'm laughing again a documentary from the 80s called shower and it came second in the sight and sound top 10 documentaries of all time list last year sounds japanese it's uh, not European, I think, but it did. Still <laughs> saying Japanese, but it didn't make Paul's rebuttal list. He made a rebuttal to the the slightly saying top one hundred, and he skipped on watching this because it's nine and a half hours long in total. Jesus. Yeah, but it's full of document. It's full of um, interviews with various Holocaust survivors uh, and people who were affected by the Holocaust, as well as Nazis who who took part in the Holocaust and they were some of them were secretly filmed they didn't know they were being filmed they knew they were being interviewed but they didn't know they were being filmed for this documentary so it captures some real like insights you you would have missed out on previously yeah. apparently so uh, it's been split into two parts the first of which uh, was four and a half hours long and is on the iPlayer you find it on iPlayer by searching for Shoah S-H-O-A-H and the second part is on TV on BBC4 on Sunday at 7pm. Okay, and Matt? I keep it a bit more simple than that. Um, <laughs> given that we, we've been discussing AI, I went for one of my choices, which just happens to be on this weekend. Um, so Sunday night at 9 o'clock, ITV2, The Matrix. Check it out. Okay. Nice. Well, that's all for this week. Uh, we'll be back this time next week. Who's lined up for us next week, Owen? Uh, Callum, and we're reviewing uh, Kingsman, Secret Service, which I've seen, and it's very funny. I wasn't expecting it to be funny, and it was. And he's also reviewing, because uh, he's that big animation expert, of course, Big Hero 6 comes out. Excellent, so, um, excellent. Yeah. Plenty for all of you to look forward to there. 
So uh, thanks to everyone who joined us this week and contributed to the podcast on the website. Website can be found at www.failedcritics.com. And uh, yes, join us next week for uh, more film chat, a dose of Callum Petch, and <laughs> some new release reviews. Critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics.